years of being here that I've ever missed two Sundays in a row. And so I appreciate you giving us the opportunity to be away. Um, and then secondly, for helping make us uh, make it a um, possible for us to go, because just honestly, we would not have would not have gone without your contributions to help make that a reality. And so we're very grateful uh, for you. Okay, Matthew chapter 15, let's read the first nine verses together. Stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, and Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And all of the children said, Amen. All right. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother what would you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, Father, as we have the opportunity to just expound upon your word, Father, I pray that you would use it to to speak to our hearts, Lord. And for those of you who are in this room, I just want you to pray this along with me. Speak, Lord. Open up my heart that I might hear your word. Let your spirit illuminate your word in my mind and in my heart this day. And do it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys go ahead and be seated. I want to show you some pictures. And some of you that if you're a, a child, you might you might get these. But I want to see if you can help me figure out who some of these um, characters are. Alright, so who is that? Superman and Batman. All right, and so hey, just just so that you know, there's a new Justice League coming out later in the month. You might be interested in seeing that. Superman and Batman. Who's that? Wonder Woman. Okay, who's who's the next person? Iron Man. Uh, the Hulk is in the background, and so if you are um, Captain Jack Sparrow. All right. And here, here's the truth. I think Charlie may have picked up on this, but you're actually all wrong. Go back to Superman and Batman. See, that, that's Henry Cavill, and that's Ben Affleck. Okay? And then Wonder Woman, Gal Gadot, that, that would be her name. I had to look up how you pronounce her name. Uh, that's Gal Gadot. Now, y'all, some of y'all probably know who that is. Who's that? Robert Downey Jr. And then Captain Jack Sparrow is who? Is is Johnny Depp. You say, well, why, why do you do that? Because all of these guys and, and ladies, the lady, they're actors and an actress. 
they simply play a part. They represent someone that is very, very different from who they really, really are. You say, well, what does all that mean? Well, look down at verse 7. Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites. The word hypocrite literally means an actor. It speaks of someone that plays a, a part. And so when Jesus calls the scribes and the Pharisees hypocrites in verse 7, here's what he's saying. He's saying something like this. You say you guys love God, but you're only playing the part. You're only acting. You're pretending. You're wearing a mask. That's, that's what the word hypocrite means. Uh, some of you went out trick-or-treating this past week. And you put on masks so that no one would know you. That, that's what a hypocrite does. It, he puts on a mask that disguises his true identity. So that's what Jesus is saying. You, you Pharisees and your scribes, you're masking your identity to everyone. You make people believe that you love God. But Jesus says, I know your heart. You, you may, you're, you're putting on this act in front of everybody else. Every single situation I studied of the word hypocrite in preparation for this message that Jesus used, he always used it in the context of talking to someone who was a religious person, most of the time in reference to the Pharisees. George Barna, the research guru, he did an extensive survey back in 2007 among those who were unchurched. 85%, I want you to stay with me, 85% of those who were unchurched responding to this survey said one of the reasons they reject Christianity is because of the hypocrisy that they see with inside the church. And I'll be honest with you, I read that, and and here's kind of what I thought. Yeah, those people don't really know us. They don't really know Christians. And so let's give Christians the benefit of the doubt that they probably are making a statement about followers of Jesus that they don't really know those Christians. But then I read another book. It's called Unchristian, what the, what the uh, unchurched generation or what a new generation thinks about Christianity. And the authors of that book, they cited a, a, a different poll. And here's what they said. And I'm quoting. They said the lifestyle activities of Christians were statistically the same as those people claiming not to be Christians when it came to the following list. Gambling, same. Visiting pornography, uh, pornographic websites, same. Taking something that didn't belong to them. Saying mean things behind someone's back. Consulting a psychic. Having a fight. Using illegal or non-prescription drugs. Saying something that's not true. Getting back at someone for something they did. And consuming enough alcohol to be considered legally drunk. No statistical difference between the unchurched and those who claim to be followers of Christ. There there was only one category where there was a statistical difference. Non-Christians recycled more than Christians. Not making it up. Non-Christians cared more about recycling than regular Christians. In our text this morning, Jesus looks at a bunch of scribes and Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, and says, you guys are hypocrites. You're you're wearing a mask. You're making people believe that you really are followers of God, when in essence, you're really not. And I think there might be a word for us in this text this morning. 
In fact, I want to point out a couple of areas of our lives that if we don't get right, you know what the world's going to look at us and say? You hypocrites. And, and I just want to remind you as we start this, we could go to another passage and Jesus said something like this. If you cause the little ones to stumble, it would be better for you if you would tie a rock around your neck and throw yourself off the cliff. I mean, this is a serious issue, guys. Are we really the people that we claim that we say we are? It's a dangerous temptation when I think about it that it was the religious people, those who claimed that they loved God, that they were the ones, the very ones, that God said, you're just not right. So, two things I want to highlight in this text, and then we'll, we'll close in a different fashion. First of all, you say, well, how in the world can we fall into this trap of hypocrisy? Let me see if we just can't maybe just put some meat to this idea of what a hypocrite is, or how hypocrisy happens. Here's how it happens. Hypocrisy happens when you elevate Scripture, I mean, elevate tradition over Scripture. The Pharisees and the scribes, they come to Jesus, and notice what the text says in verse 1. They come from Jerusalem. And so you get, you get this picture that the Pharisees and the scribes come a distance to where Jesus is for the reason of trying to trip him up, for the reason of trying to challenge him in his authority. And so when they come, here's what they ask in verse 2. Why do your disciples, they don't even, they don't even hide what they're talking about. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, by the time of Jesus' culture, the elders, the tradition of the elders was superior to the Old Testament. And so you would have uh, the tradition of the elders, and then you would have the Scriptures. Now, the tradition of the elders was kind of like a commentary. Some of you have commentaries like a, a Matthew Henry commentary or a John MacArthur commentary. Something that someone has written in explanation of the Scriptures. By their time, what people had written about the, about the, about the Scriptures had been elevated to the tradition of the elders where it was elevated over the Scriptures themselves. And so what's happened, and, and I'll get into this in just a moment, what was secondary had been elevated to primary. Now, this particular situation had to do with the washing of the hands before you ate. Now, he's not talking about, do you, you get all the germs off of your hands before you, before you ate? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a ceremonial situation where you wash your hands before you ate. Think about it like this. Like, I think most of us in this room, if we're spiritual enough and, and honest enough, our blessing before we eat... It's kind of just going through the motions. It's something we just kind of do without really thinking about us really thanking God for our food. It's just some words that we say. That's kind of what it was for them, what this ceremony was. It was just a tradition that they had elevated. And when you go to eat lunch today, pray for your food. I'm not saying not to. I'm just saying it gets to be a routine. And so it was held, this ceremony of washing your hands is something very, very high regard. In fact, I read about one rabbi this week. Uh, that uh, he was imprisoned for his faith, that he was given a small ration of water every single day, he would use it to wash his hands instead of to drink. Because he said, I'd rather honor the tradition of the elders. I'd rather die and honor the tradition than break the tradition. Okay, and so it was something they held in very, very high regard. And so, had, the, had God given in the law, in the Scriptures, 
The ceremonies of washing hands, absolutely. Uh, but the ceremonies were outward symbols of spiritual truths. They were never intended to have any blessings in and of themselves. And so the Pharisees and the scribes come. Hey, Jesus, if you're this great Messiah, why are your disciples breaking the tradition of the elders and eating with unwashed hands? And Jesus never responds directly to their accusations. Instead, he goes on the offense. He says, you're getting at me for breaking tradition? You guys are breaking the commandments. You guys are breaking exactly what God had said. He said, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Verse 4. Now, this is directly from the Old Testament. God commanded, Honor your father and mother, send the Ten Commandments. And then whoever reviles father or mother, they must surely die. But now here was the tradition in verse 5. If anyone tells his father or mother... Um, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father or mother. So in other words, here's what he's saying. You know you're supposed to honor your parents. But instead, if you say, given what your parents need, if you say, you know what, I've pledged this to God, then that means you don't have to honor your parents. You don't have to give that to honor your parents. In fact, some translations will say, you must not honor your parents in that situation. You've got to give God what you've pledged. But now here's just a problem. They could break the pledge. They could come back and say, you know what? I've decided I don't know. I no longer need to pledge this money, my possessions to God. And then they could take it and use it for themselves. The tradition that they had set up was not to honor the Lord. It was to honor themselves. It, it, was, to, it was to allow them an out of honoring their parents so that they could keep the things that they have accumulated in their own life. And so Jesus says here, so for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. And that's where he says in verse 7, you bunch of hypocrites. And then he quotes Isaiah in verse 8. Not you, Isaiah, a different Isaiah. All right, verse 8. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart. It's far from me. In vain do they worship me. You see, that's what tradition does. Just be very honest. Tradition takes your heart out of your walk with God. It makes your walk with God nothing more than a ritual of going through the motions. And honestly, that I get how people can look at the inside of the average church and say, yep, a lot of hypocrites in there. The average church member, especially in the South, we don't cuss. Most don't watch bad movies. Don't drink, give money on a fairly consistent basis. All the while, we're not concerned about the weightier matters like those who are dying without Jesus, like mercy for the poor, justice for the oppressed, those that are on the outside looking in says, man, something's not right about that. I don't think Jesus would have condoned that type of lifestyle. 
See, in tradition, it's possible for you to go through the motions. It's possible for you to, on the outside, look completely like a follower of Christ. But you have no heart for the things of God. You have no desire within you to love and to please God. I said said it like this. You have a religious exoskeleton. You have a religious outside. You say, well, how does that happen? Tradition. You taught at an early age, go to church. Do this, don't do that. Act this way, don't act that way. You have a tradition where you honor God on the outside, but your heart is far from Him. Maybe, maybe it'll help you think about it this way. I said it just a moment ago. Tradition is this. It's where you elevate secondary matters to a primary concern. You elevate something that is secondary to something that is primary in your life. For example, take church attendance. I'm big on church attendance. I think you should be here every every single time, every single Sunday. Okay, I'm big on church attendance. I want you to come to church. I think you should come to church. But church attendance is secondary. You know what's primary? That you love God with all of your heart. You know, here's the difference. When you love God with all of your heart, church attendance is going to take care of itself. Take giving as another example. Giving is a secondary issue. The primary issue is whether or not you're honoring God with all of your possessions. Just being honest, it's possible for somebody to tithe every single week and not honor God with their finances. Okay? Giving is a secondary issue. Primary issue is, is are you really honoring God with all that you have? Here's another one. Saying your prayers is a secondary issue. I would much rather you be a person of prayer than a person who says their prayers. Big difference between the two. You see, we get in this tradition of whether or not we're just going through the motions rather than having a heart that is trying to please the Lord. And so, hypocrisy happens when we elevate tradition over truth. Number two, hypocrisy happens when you focus on life change instead of heart change. Now, in verse 10, he called the people to around him and he says, Now, you hear and understand this. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. And so, in other words, Jesus says this, eating with dirty hands, it's not going to make you a sinner. Those things don't really matter. It's the things that come out of your mouth that really matters. And then you come down to verse 15. Peter says, well, explain this parable to us. And here's what he said. Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth, it passes into the stomach and is expelled? It's basic biology. That's why I have to get up two or three times in the middle of the night because I've drunk so much water during the day that what goes in must come out. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 17. But now, verse 18. What comes out of the mouth, it comes from the heart. It proceeds from the heart, and that's what defiles a person. That what makes, that's what makes a person a sinner. That's what, that's, that's what defiles him. For out of the heart, now here's the list. If some of you like to have lists, 
For out of the heart there comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, that's lying, slander, talking about people behind their back. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands? Nah, Jesus says, that does not defile anyone. And here's what happens. Now, now just, just follow with me. You with me? Say amen. All right, you with me? Say amen. All right, everybody with me. Here's what happens. Somebody starts coming to church. Just, for, just take us, for example. Somebody starts coming to Bethel Baptist Church. And they, somebody points out, Savannah, that's a sin. Stop that. Don't do that anymore. And so Savannah stops it. Okay? Savannah continues to live her life. She goes along. And it's somebody else. Savannah, stop that. That's a sin. Another area of her life. And so Savannah stops that. Somebody told her it's wrong. She's, so she's not doing that. Continues to live her life. Somebody else sees something Savannah's doing wrong. Savannah, stop that. That's a sin. And Savannah stops that. What have you corrected in Savannah? Outward actions. You see, outward actions are only a, a symptom that there's something desperately wrong with them on the inside. And until you fix the inside, all you focus on is the outside, they'll never change. And at some point, they, they might change. They might look the part, but you haven't, taught, you haven't taught them to have a heart to love Christ. You haven't told them the weightier things about what Jesus has done for them on the cross. And inevitably, here's what happens. Savannah will be a private sinner. She'll look the part on the outside but in private, behind closed doors, be a sinner. Or she'll get to a point in her life where she'll throw her hands up. I'm tired of this. It's just a bunch of rules and regulations. It's just a list of things I have to do and what I can't do. And she'll quit and she'll leave the faith. And then the world will look and say, yep, I told you. Just another hypocrite. And I say this as humble I possibly can't. My fear is that we have churches that are full of people trying to do their best to get rid of sin in their lives and you're doing something that you can't do. If you've never had an experience where it changed your heart, you'll never, ever, ever have true life change. You can't change the outside without changing the inside first. I believe that's why Billy Graham, who is literally as close to heaven as he could possibly get age-wise and spiritual-wise, said he believed that 50% of people who were on rosters, church roles, would not make it into heaven. Jesus said that most of the people who come up to him and say, Lord, Lord, will hear the words, depart from me, for I never knew you. He said the majority, most, would hear that. Let me describe how that happens. It happens when you misunderstand the gospel. You see, the gospel is not bad people becoming good people. Oftentimes, that's what we want. Like for our kids. We want our kids to grow up and be good people. We want our kids to get good jobs. We want them to, to stay away from alcohol and to stay away from drugs and not to smoke. But if that's the primary thing for your life, then let me tell you, those are secondary things. Primary is keep teach, trying to teach your kid and shape and mold their heart so that they love Jesus with all that they have. And when that's primary, secondary things 
take care of themselves. And so we misunderstand the gospel. Trying to make good people, bad people into good people. So we, we have people who say, you know what, I used to cuss, but now I don't. I used to get drunk, but now I don't. I used to disobey my parents, but now I don't. And the goal of the gospel is not to get you to conform to a set of rules and regulations. The goal of the gospel is to change your heart. So we think about it in these terms instead of other terms. The gospel is dead people coming to life in Christ. It's dead people coming to life in Christ. When dead people become alive in Christ, it's not based upon what you have done. It's based upon what Christ has done for you. You ever seen dead people move? You ever been to a, to what they used to call a sitting up and, and saw somebody come up out of the casket? Dead people don't act. Dead people have no life in and of themselves. Somebody has to come and give life into them if they're going to have life. And that's what the gospel is. Jesus has breathed life into us. Jesus has given us life on our behalf. Paul said it this way when when Jesus gives you life, here's what happens. Paul says you become a new creation in Christ. And the, in the, in the, prof, the prophet Ezekiel said that God gives you a new heart. He takes a, your, your hard heart, it's a heart of stone, and He gives you a soft heart. He gives you a heart of flesh. Jeremiah spoke of it that, that God does a work on your heart, that He writes His law upon your heart. And here's the point. Now catch this. Here's the point of the gospel. That you fall so deeply in love with Christ, you're so overwhelmed with the love of Christ and what He has done on your behalf, that it reorients your entire life. And so it's no longer, what do I need to do to be good? It's, man, what, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Because now I've been accepted in this relationship with you. You're no longer trying to be accepted upon what you're due. Now you, you're doing because you have been accepted in Christ. Now here's what that means. We get away from hypocrisy when we live in the gospel every single day of our lives. We focus on primary things. You, you see, the gospel is not just for your salvation. That's what we think a lot of times. Oh man, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and so now I've accepted Him as my Savior. That's the gospel. You live in the gospel every single day of your life. How many, how many of you have sinned since you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Every single one of you better put your hands up. What do you do when you sin? Go back to the gospel. You live in the gospel. When someone surrenders their life to Jesus, you just don't wake up the next day and be like, oh man, I'm perfect now. We depend upon His mercy and His grace every single day of our life. And God uses the gospel to continually transform us into the image of Christ. And here's what that means. Churches become messy places. It's not that we're, we're called to be this nice little neat country club where everybody's got it together. Churches become messy places where people who don't have it together come and say, man, I need the grace of Jesus today. Man, I'm, I'm depending upon God to just give me a little bit of extra grace because I'm, I'm dealing with this. I'm, I'm dealing with that. And so we walk day by day in the gospel. read a story this week, or last week, or week before last. It's, I've been studying for this message for three weeks now. This college-age lady 
He was dating this young guy who was a follower of Christ. And one day at their church, their pastor preached on marriage and this idea of not being unequally yoked. That means, uh, for those of you who have no idea what that means, that means that if you're a follower of Christ, you're not to marry someone who is not a follower of Christ because they're going to tempt you to stray away from your relationship with Christ. And so the preacher taught on that that day. And sometime after the service, uh, one of the Pharisees in the church come up and said, hey, you need to quit dating that guy. Uh, he's not a Christian. And so she asked, well, how do you know he's not a Christian? And he said, well, I saw him smoking. smoking." And so she sat there and she thought for a second. What what did you see him smoking? Well, cigarettes. And she looked and said, well, praise God, that's not what he used to smoke. I used to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day before I got saved. Even after I got saved, you know what, I used to still smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. And I hadn't smoked a cigarette in, I don't know how many years at this point, a long time, within a year of my salvation, sometime early 2002, I think, was the last time I smoked. Here's my point. It would probably have been a turnoff if somebody would have come up and said, you're a hypocrite, you need to quit smoking cigarettes. Rather than somebody coming and loving on me in spite of my sinfulness. I'm not saying if you smoke, you're, you're a sinner. My green is one of the godliest men I knew, and he, he smoked cigarettes. The point being, in this room, there's probably 70 people. Some of you are further along in your walk than others. Some of you are immature in your walk with Christ. Not, it's not a bad thing. You're just young in your, in your walk. Some of you have been walking this walk for a long time, and you're, you're further along. You're mature. The goal is to rest in the gospel and day by day continually be renewed in the gospel. But it never happened. Are you listening to me? It will never, ever happen if you have no heart for the things of Christ. It will never happen. If there's nothing within you, say, you know what, God, I want to follow you. God, I want to be your disciple. God, I I want my life to be a living example of what it means to be a follower of Christ. If there's no, no yearning like that within you, Man, I, I just, I, I would really, between you and the Lord, it has nothing to do with me. I'd really examine my life with Christ. Now, here's why. And I'll close with this. Matthew 15. The disciples come to him after Jesus said, what goes into the mouth defiles, uh, doesn't defile a person, it's what comes out of the mouth. The disciples come and says, Jesus, don't you know that you just offended the Pharisees? And Jesus had a knack for offending people. And here's what he said. Verse 13. It's going to be on the screen. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. It parallels what Jesus said a few chapters earlier in Matthew 13, the parable of the wheat and tares. There was a good sower sowed good seed, and the wheat began to show uh, spring up, but then there was an enemy that sowed bad seed, tares. It sprang up also. 
They look almost identical. Wheat and tares, very hard to distinguish each other from one another. And Jesus said, just let them grow. Because if you try to, if you try to go in and take the tares out, you're, you're going to uproot the good ones and say, you just going to let them grow together until the end. And then when the harvest has come, the wheat and tares will be separated. That's what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 15 and verse 13. You could fool me. You make can fool your spouse or your children or your parents. But Jesus says, if you've not been planted by His Heavenly Father, if you have no heart for the things of Christ, if you have just kind of a religious exoskeleton, there's coming a day where you'll be rooted up. The greatest decisions you'll ever make today is not praying a prayer, not choosing to become more religious or, or to do anything, but this humbly, unashamedly, say today, Jesus, take all of me for your glory. Unashamed surrender. Jesus, I don't want a religious exoskeleton. I don't want to go through the motions. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to be just this good person. I don't want to be a hypocrite and just wear a mask. I want to be a faithful follower for King Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'd add your blessing to the reading of your word. Lord, help us to be a group of people, a church, Lord that truly loves one another. Father, that that we seek to honor you, Lord, with our hearts, with our attitudes, with our minds. Lord, my prayer would be that there wouldn't be a single person that would be wearing a mask in this room faking it in their walk with you. Lord, move for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You stand with us. Move into a time where you respond. Father has spoken to your heart. Amen. Yep, you're going through the motions. There's no heart behind your desire to be a follower of Christ. Would you come today and say, Preacher, I want Jesus to be my everything. I don't want to play games. I don't want to go through the motions. I want to have my life surrendered before Christ. No play. However the Lord's lead, you respond.